it's a scene that they set up. They get an NBA all-star to go to random playgrounds throughout the country and just kind of show up to play basketball with just regular people. But before they let the NBA All-Star go out to these playgrounds, they actually bring in a Hollywood-caliber makeup artist team. And they do up these guys and make them look like they're about 85 years old. I mean, they, they put on the clothing. Some of them sometimes they'll have like a cane with them. And it's incredible, the, the makeup that they do. There's no possible way you could tell by looking at them that they're wearing makeup. They really, truly look like they're... 85 years old. And then they show up in these playgrounds, these basketball courts, and, and they step out, and of course the, the cameramen hide. There are hidden cameras everywhere. And they, they, they approach these young guys playing basketball, and they say, hey, can I, can I play with you? <laughs> you know, and it's just so much fun to watch the reaction on their faces that this old guy wants to play with them. And eventually he was able to get the ball, and you should see the look on their faces as this guy, this 85-year-old man, is just draining these threes from downtown like it's nothing. <laughs> doing Putting the basketball in between his legs and doing a reverse layup. And it's just so, so much fun to watch the, the reaction on the faces of these, these, um, these kids playing basketball. And of course comes the, the funnest part is the time of the big reveal, right? Where the, the, the NBA All-Star will take off the mask and, and undo some of the makeup and they can see that this is actually Kevin Durant or, or whoever. And it's just, it's just a tremendous amount of fun. There's this big reveal. Here's this 85-year-old that is doing things that an 85-year-old shouldn't be able to do. And they begin to wonder, who then is this? And I can't help, every time I watch it, I can't help but think of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As he was fully man, as he walked the earth and, and, and proclaimed the gospel, he began to do things that mere man shouldn't be able to do. And everybody begins to ask, who is this that can preach like that, that can heal like that, that can perform these miracles. And of course, we know as we're reading this story, we know that this is the glory of God himself veiled in humanity. But they don't know that. They're just as clueless as those other kids on the basketball court wondering who this 85-year-old is. Until we get to this passage. When Jesus, for a moment, takes off that veil and lets three of the disciples see who he truly is. He, he kind of prophesizes this in verse 9, the opening verse. Truly I say to you that, that some, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then Mark tells us, after six days, we ought to pause right there. That's alarming. Mark gave us detail and what and time length, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but everything that he said is next and immediately at once. So when he gives you, he tells you specifically six days, we ought to pause. And, and if, we were, if we were looking at this from a Jewish mindset, if we had full knowledge of the, the Old Testament, we might think about the six-day journey to Mount Sinai that Moses took. There's going to be a lot of comparisons to Moses' experience on that mountaintop and the three disciples 
experience on the mountaintop. After six days, he took with him Peter and James and John and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Wow, that's that's easy to just kind of keep reading, but let's stop there for a second and think about this. Think about what that would have been like if you're on that mountain. The experience that that would have been. It says that he's transfigured. The, the Greek wor- uh, word there is metamorphi. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. We all learned that word in probably second grade. The reason why I say second grade is because Ellie's in second grade, and she told me a few months ago that they had a caterpillar, a pet caterpillar in class. And I knew where that was going, but she didn't. And then after some time, she ran home and said, the caterpillar turned into a butterfly. It changed. This is, this is the image that, that we have here. Here's Jesus in a fully man form, and then suddenly he metamorphoses, he changes before them into the glory of God, into God himself. He, it says, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. An earthly, an unearthly white. Think about that. How can you? Picture a white that you've never seen before. This is what they're trying to describe. This is an overwhelming light radiating off their, sa- their Savior. It isn't just that his, it was coming out of his skin and his face, Matthew and Luke tell us, and even his face was shining as bright as the brightest sun could possibly shine. But even his clothes transcended this incredible, powerful light. If you have a hard time picturing what that might look like, try to picture then the faces of the disciples as they're gazing upon this. Sometimes looking at the face of somebody witnessing something tells all that we need to know. I remember many years ago I was with Ellie. We brought her to, I brought her downtown Buffalo for the Christmas tree lighting. And it was this thing where they actually shot a firework into this tree and then there was like this big explosion and the tree lit up and it was an incredible thing to see. And I didn't get any of it on video or camera because I couldn't stop taking pictures of my daughter's face as she watched this take, take place. Her face told it all. And as we would gaze in our mind's eye at the disciple's face, as they're watching this transfiguration, as they're experiencing this light beaming before them. And there appeared, in verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. Why Elijah and Moses? Well, Elijah represents in the Old Testament prophets. He is the prophet of the prophets. Whenever you hear or think Elijah, certainly as a Jewish person, you would just immediately think of all the prophets. He is a summation of the prophets. And Moses represents the law of God. And so with these two men standing here with Jesus, you have the summation of the entire Old Testament. And you have a demonstration that all of the prophets... In all of the law, 
point to Jesus Christ. And they're having a conversation. Mark, that's all he tells us, but Luke gives us a little bit more. They're actually talking about what Jesus must do. Remember, we're at a turning point in the book of Mark. He is now making his way to Jerusalem. He is making his way to the cross. We are on a fast track now to the suffering and the death of our Savior. And this is what the three of them are discussing. See, the law... And the prophets don't rebuke Jesus for dying. They know he must die. And they know why he must die. It all points to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. When we read the Old Testament, this is the the paradigm that we need to read the Old Testament in. That everything points, it all points to Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. This is the experience over and over as we see throughout the Bible. Anybody that gets a glimpse of the glory of God is fear-stricken. But again... This isn't a fear that makes you want to run away from. This is a fear that makes you want to set up tabernacles so that they might dwell there forever. In other words, Peter in this is going, I don't want to go anywhere ever again. I am good here beholding the glory that is before me. He wants to bask to bathe, to behold this glory. This, by the way, is how people are changed. By beholding the glory of God. There is no other way to change. Everything else becomes self-pointing and legalism. There's a lot of application in the Bible. There's a lot of step process. There's a lot of things that we can do. But if we attempt to do any of these things without beholding the glory of God first, we will fail to do them. Amen? And even if we were successful in them, all that would create was a boastful person, a self-righteousness. But it is by beholding the glory of God that one softens, one changes, one leans in. You cannot behold His glory. See, this changes everything for me. I was just on a conversation earlier this week and somebody called and said, man, when I... You know, I've been struggling with prayer because it's like I just don't feel like I'm getting... I don't, I don't feel connected. Like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything from it and you know I just and we had a discussion and I said well (laughs) why are you trying to get anything from prayer prayer is an opportunity to stand before the glory of God that's what prayer is when we read our Bibles we shouldn't be reading it for information we shouldn't be reading it to learn how to do anything we should be praying and and reading our Bibles and coming to church and singing Jesus all in an attempt to glimpse his glory 
to just have a, a, a vision of the risen God, that is what changes people forever. You cannot stand in front of the presence of God and walk away the same. It's not possible. So he says, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build three of them, one for the each of you. We're just going to stay here. And it says he was filled with terror, but he was, he was drawn to this. And if he's afraid now, this next verse 7 is really going to terrify them. It says, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud. Can you imagine? I mean, this is the, the cloud, the pillar. This is the pillar cloud. This is, wouldn't have been lost on them. As they saw this come in, they would have thought about the exodus. They would have thought about all the stories they had heard. And every time they're on them, the, the Old Testament talks about a cloud, this pillar cloud. It is the presence of the Father, the God of all. They know exactly what's taking place, and it overshadows them. And out of that cloud booms this voice. This is my son. Listen to him. This is kind of goes back to what Jesus told Peter a, 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 a little while ago, a few weeks ago, when, when he says, well, who do you say I am? And Jesus says, you are the, the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you because flesh did not reveal that to you. Only the Father who is in heaven can reveal that to you. And here we have the, 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 the vision of this cloud coming and revealing the identity to them of who Jesus Christ is. Now this is familiar for us because we remember many, many, many months ago, about a year ago, when Jesus was baptized, right? And the cloud came and out of that thundered a voice and it said, You are my son with whom I am well pleased. The first time God was talking to Jesus and this time he is talking directly to the disciples. What do you think God would say in 2021 if he could say anything? If he could somehow gather the world, everybody, from every nation and every tongue, and communicate with them today with all that's going on. He's got one thing to say, the most important thing on his heart. What do you think it would be? I'd make the argument it would be this. That Jesus Christ is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. What a tremendous testimony to who Jesus is as he stands there in his exaltation. They get to experience the Father proclaim his identity. And give direction to listen to him. That is what we are called to do. Amen? To listen to him. To get still. To get quiet. To open our Bibles. And listen for the voice of our shepherd. That we might obey. And stay in his fold. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Jesus only. 
This is what we are to see. We are to hear, to listen to him. And then as we look, we are to see Jesus only. Everything that we do. As I raise Ellie, I should do that for Jesus only. As I'm, a, as I'm a husband to my wife, I should do that for Jesus only. As I go out into the world, as I go shopping for groceries, as I drive my car down the thruway, as I water my garden, I should do it all under the glory of God. Amen? I should do it all for Jesus only. See, the law and the prophets once stood with Jesus, but nobody has eternal standing with Jesus Christ. Nobody has eternal standing with Jesus Christ. And it could all perish. And you know who will remain? Jesus. He will remain. The prophets might go. The law might fail. The government might make laws against our church. The world might try to take marriage from God. They can beat Jesus, make him carry his cross. They can hang him on that cross. They can stick his side with a spear. And you know who remains? Jesus only. It's all Jesus Matthew 24, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word, Jesus, will not pass away. He will remain. And so they see Jesus only. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus charges them, to not say anything to anybody, but this time he gives a time limit on it. This is, again, this is kind of different. We're used to kind of Jesus going, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, and that's kind of like an absolute, just don't say anything. But this time, in verse 9, he says, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man rises from dead. So he gives them a time limit. After this event takes place, tell everybody. You're free to tell everybody what it is you experienced here. But don't say anything until then. And in 10, 11, and 12, they ask for some clarification. They ask about the the first coming of Elijah, and Jesus explains to them that John the Baptist was the one like Elijah, that he has come and they have done whatever they wanted to him. And and the the disciples begin to see. Remember the blind man who could only, he started to see, and now things are becoming clearer and clearer to the disciples. So why? Why do we have this testimony? We have this in all the synoptic Gospels, all three Gospels. Um, Why is it? I think there's three reasons. There could be many more reasons, but we'll talk about three briefly here. Uh, One was to uh, encourage them. It was an encouragement. Remember, in the context of which this takes place, Peter has this incredible experience where he says, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, and Jesus is delighted, he's got this awesome reaction, so their hopes are high, right? 
And then he immediately tells him, I must suffer lots of things, I must be rejected by the world, I must die, and I must rise again. This was a crushing thing for them to hear. This is not something they looked forward to at all. And it wasn't anything that they understood. It was confusing and really downright depressing. And and Peter tries to talk him back from that. And then he's rebuked harshly. And then Jesus calls in everybody and gives them the good news that if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. You're going to be rejected. You may even die. It is a difficult thing to follow Jesus. And so, even as I preached that sermon, it was kind of a, a heavy-hearted sermon to preach. You know, imagine the, the disciples and their discouragement from all of this. And so he shows them this vision to show them that I will remain, that the the decision to follow me is well worth it. To reestablish hope. When you picture Jesus Christ, who do you picture? Think about him right now. What does he look like? Does he look like this? When we picture Jesus Christ, we really ought to picture the transfigured Jesus Christ. We understand that he came in humility, but he moved from humility to exaltation. He came in humility. He's coming as king. As he sits now, he's the king. Remember what he said. It's not going to be done. It is finished. It is done. See, the exaltated, risen Christ ought to give us hope. This is a world filled with opportunities to lose hope. Amen? I mean, I mean just, just the sickness and the death and the, the cancer and the tragedy... I mean, abortions. I mean, we live in a country that, that just aborts babies left and right and then throws parades that they should be able to do it. It's disgusting. There isn't any hope when you look out into this world. But then when we remember the exalted, risen Jesus Christ, it should regain our hope, reestablish our hope that it's not going to always be this way. He's on his way back. And there won't be a veil this time. He will come back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You must hold on to the exalted, risen Christ. Because the exalted, risen Christ gives us courage. We live in a world today that asks, what gives you the right to tell other people what they should believe? This ongoing attack on absolute truth, this posturing, this bolstering that all truth is relative, the more they bolster that, the more hateful our speech sounds. 
And the question becomes, what gives you the right to tell anybody how and what they should believe? And in that moment, we can picture the exalted, risen Jesus Christ. He does. God does. You can stand up against any kind of discouragement, rejection, dishonoring, loss of job. How many Christians right now are facing in the, in the, in the medical community the decision to use pronouns or not use pronouns that they know are biblically incorrect? We can do that if we remember He is exalted. He is risen. He is the king. He is coming back. It should give us courage. It should give us perseverance. The exalted risen Christ gives us perseverance. Humans can withstand a lot when we know that suffering is only temporary and the reward is great. What is it worth it to you to someday stand before this incredible risen Christ, so bright, so pure? There's this this terror, but yet we can feel such love. One of the accounts is they fell down, the three disciples fell down, and and then we have Jesus reach down and touch them and say, fear not. The, the, The love to stand before this And to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I say bring on everything and anything. It is worth my life. And anything. If it means that someday I will experience that moment. We must hang on to the vision of the transfigured Christ. And even as we're walking through the book of Revelation, there's this even greater image portrayed for us of the risen Jesus Christ. This is who we serve. This is who we pray to. This is who we go to. This is the Christ, and he will not forsake you. He doesn't leave us. He remains, only Jesus It's, it's fun watching that promo because these guys are playing basketball and this whole guy comes and he's making these shots and they're wondering what's going on. They're confused and then all of a sudden it turns out to be Kevin Durant. They're in the flesh right before them. And they go from confusion to just elation. They're so excited. And then it all makes sense how he's making all those shots. <laughs> well, that day's coming for us, Christian. That day's coming for us. Where the unveiling will happen. And can you imagine how much more exciting that'll be than it was for those kids on the basketball court? To have Christ come unveiled fully in glory. What an incredible day. I honestly don't know how to walk as a Christian in any other way.
I'll close with this. This is what they said in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. The Lord had risen from the dead, and the disciples are out into the world trying to spread the gospel. Tremendous pushback, tremendous persecution all around. And even the churches that they were able to establish, as soon as they left town, immediately false teachers would attack there, Judaizers would attack, governments would attack. And this was their hope. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to him by the majesty and glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. It's not a mess. It's real. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us glimpses in this time of veiling. Help us to remind, uh, remind us, Father God, that as we walk in the Christian path, Lord, that things are, so many things are still very veiled, God, but Please place it into our hearts. Help us to remember daily, God, of the exalted Jesus Christ, the one who stands in power, the one who is on his way, ready to return, to restore all things. Father, allow this reality to sink into our hearts, Lord, that we might tremble, might not tremble in the face of difficulty and persecution, God, that we might not lose hope as we continue to experience the curse of a fallen world, that all of our hope and all of our obedience and our eyes and our ears are fully on Jesus only. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I had one song planned for the closing, and I 